This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford. 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Radio Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. Atenea Americana. And today we are here at the studios of KCSU Stanford with a very knowledgeable group of educational leaders. We will be talking about public education, everything that there is to know about programs for target population and how we as a society work together to improve the chances for everybody on, with education. For that, today, we have some very special and knowledgeable guests. We have Superintendent Mary Ann Dewan. She is the Superintendent of the Santa Clara County of Education. Dr. Mary Ann Dewan has served in education for over 33 years. Her distinguished work in education reform and change leadership is grounded in her commitment to serve the community and underserved vulnerable youth and as a mission that has centered around diversity, inclusion, equity, and social justice for many years. She is a strong advocate for the expansion of early learning services, health, and education. She believes in providing each and every child opportunities that provide high-quality, equitable, and inclusive experience. Our next guest today is Albert Gonzalez. He is the president of the California School Board Association, and he also represents Santa Clara Unified School District. Gonzalez was elected to the board of directors in 2014 after serving as a delegate assembly since 2010, and he has served on the CSBA Legislative Committee since 2012. He has been a board member in Santa Clara Unified school district since 2008. He attended California Polytechnic State University of Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and currently works in Silicon Valley. He is an avid solid fan and he has coached in youth soccer leagues and it is a certified United States Soccer Federation referee. But he is, of course, here to talk to us about public education and about the many programs and policies of the state. Our next guest is Jessica Spicer. She is the president of the Santa Clara California School Board Association. She is also part of the Los Altos School District Board of Education. 
She graduated from Wesley College, class of 97, and from the UC College of Law in San Francisco in 2004, and admitted to the California State Bar in also 2004. She has been a criminal research attorney for the County of San Mateo Superior Court, and most recent, uh, the most recent position was the Chief Outreach Officer for Border Circle, which today is Outreach Circle. She has been in several public offices, and she has been a very strong advocate for children and public education for many years. As a co-producer and co-host today, I have Bridget Watson. Bridget is a dedicated community volunteer and teacher who has served thousands of hours in the Sunnyvale School District. She taught second and third grade. She has received multiple education awards for her skills as an educator at her district and county level. Right now, she teaches English as a second language for the Fremont Union High School. Bridget is the Santa Clara County School Board Association President and district representative of that association. She served as a member of the SCCSBA Legislative Action Committee, advocating for our students' unique needs with legislators at the local, county, state, and federal levels. She has completed the Masters of Governance program from the California School Board Association and served in the CSBA's Equity Network Learning ways to create and apply systems that change towards equity district and statewide. Bridget also served on the Glitigate Assembly, a CSBA policy and advocacy arm for Region 20. She served on the board of directors for the Sunnyvale Education Foundation, which is a non-profit that facilitates community and support in collaboration with the district for an enriched high-quality education for all schools in her district. She has a bachelor's and master's degrees in English, and she had a multiple subject teaching credential from National University. And she worked with the students learning English and an additional language from Notre Dame de Namur. Is here today to help us a little bit with this very knowledgeable panel, and uh, will be my co-host. So welcome to her and to all my guests for this awesome conversation that we're going to have here. Today in Atenea Americana, remember that this and all my shows will be at StanfordHispanicBroadcasting.org. Stay with us. And here we are today in the studio, and uh, we are going to be talking about public education. And here we have some of the wisest guests for that. And of course, our co-host today. Welcome. And let's start. Let's get this rolling now. Let's start here with my co-host, Bridget Watson. Oh, good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So we're going to start with uh, the question, the first question for Dr. Dewan. So... Dr. Dewan, thank you and good morning. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate all your service to the county and to all the students here. Um, we had a question for you and we were just wondering if you could start us off by sharing any data or statistics regarding the academic performance and graduation rates of the Hispanic students here in Santa Clara County compared to other ethnicity groups and compared to the rest of the state. Like, how are we doing? How are the kids doing? Um, if you could just give us sort of the starting point where where we're at right now. Go ahead. All right. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here this morning. It's always a pleasure uh, to be in a space to talk about the importance of public education, the needs of our young people, and how we can work together in partnership to advance 
um, academic achievement and the overall well-being of our students. Uh, to to begin, I, I did want to share a little bit about our Hispanic Latino students and their graduation rates as compared to students overall. And uh, with the context and recognition as well that we know for the COVID-19 pandemic impacts um, on uh, communities within the county, that many of our communities that are largely Hispanic Latino were disproportionately impacted by COVID and we're continuing to see recovery efforts underway. With that being said, the four-year adjusted cohort graduation rate uh, for our Hispanic Latino students comparing 21-22 school year to the 22-23 school year, we did experience a slight decline from 79% graduation rate to 76%. And keep in mind that the overall graduation rate uh, for all students was 87%. So certainly um, a bit lower than the overall rates. On a positive side, um, one of the areas that we're seeing significant increases and positive is in language acquisition uh, for Hispanic Latino students and in particular their English English language acquisition, as well as we're seeing uh, increases in the rates of students earning the seal of biliteracy on their diplomas. So <clears throat> would you like me to do that? Yeah. Okay. So what, um, what specific initiatives has the county superintendent implemented in the past few years to address the equity in education, especially if there been any specific initiatives? We've been investing um, quite heavily as the county office of education um, with the meeting the needs of our students as a high priority and really advancing the core pr principles of our office, which are equity, diversity, inclusion, and partnership. So a number of the things I'm going to share are efforts that we do collaboratively um, with others, including our local school district partners. The first one I'm really excited to share is our long-term investment in the Ways to Equity initiative. Uh, through this initiative, we've created a number of what we call playbooks or toolkits, uh, significant numbers of professional development and training resources, and some convenings very focused on African-American students, students with disabilities, and our English language learners. And so within, um, starting back in September 2020, and within the last several years, we've advanced several Ways to Equity playbooks that we know are having a significant impact on equity conversations and initiatives in our local schools. Another area that um, I thought would be really important to share with the community is some of our work around learning acceleration. Just, it's important to recognize that students have been learning. Uh, they learned during the pandemic. Um, there were gaps, certainly, and disruptions to their learning, but they did learn. And so what we know from the evidence is that we can build a bridge uh, from the areas that students learned um, get a great assessment of perhaps where their learning gaps are and build bridges into future learning and the academic standards under this model called learning acceleration, which really um, is an assets-based approach. And the evidence is really clear that this approach works far better than remediation. I really appreciate that you mentioned the asset-based approach. And um, maybe you and the other panelists, like maybe you could talk a little more about what that is and what you mean by that. Um, we've been hearing a lot about it on our school board and um, 
you know, just the shift towards asset-based learning. Um, and I'd love to hear from the other trustees as well, like what they're doing. And Albert, you know, you're at the state level with um, CSBA as well. I'm sorry. Yes, maybe you could also talk a little bit about, you know, what your organization is doing. But I would just love to hear a little more defining for people who aren't in education, what that means, what assets, asset-based learning is. Really, assets-based approaches um, recognize what um, an individual is bringing into that that learning and into that space. So it recognizes um, that they have strengths, that they have skills, that they have knowledge and experience that can be built upon uh, to advance their learning. And so um, we also know that this assets-based approach provides more of a safe learning environment for young people and is more motivating and can really advance their achievement in ways that other approaches cannot. Yeah, and I, I would just say, um, I think historically in the past, you know, if you're an EL learner and uh, something to, you know, integrate and learn English here in, in the States or California, um, it, it was looked as a, as a negative thing to, to be, you know, speaking Spanish or a different language. And I think now, we recognize that um, living in a global world, the more uh, languages you can speak, the, the better off you're going to be. So um, definitely uh, looking at it as an asset-based approach. I know in Santa Clara Unified, uh, there, there's a, a couple of, uh, of immersion schools, so bilingual immersion schools. So that that definitely uh, facilitates that um, that pedagogy as far as uh, students being able to learn not only not only you know that next students, but uh, other students uh, being able to learn Spanish in the early grades and then. Uh, going on to obviously learning English as well. So I think that that asset-based approach, looking at the, the whole child and understanding that they do bring a, you know, a lot of different assets, different perspectives to, um, to the uh, classroom. I think that's something that's very, very uh, important to, uh, to understand and to make sure that we, we not only uh, work with it and, and use it, but embrace it and really uh, see how we can uh, add that to, to the, the classroom and make sure that we can, uh, not only uh, have have our teachers and our staff, you know, work with them and make sure that they, they achieve uh, and have the great opportunities, educational opportunities that, that they need, but also that other students see this and see not only that that, that it's, it's a positive thing for them to uh, to speak other languages and for them to understand different cultures and, uh, you know, talking about equity and diversity. I think that's, uh, that's something that's in California, you can't go without it. So I think it's something that we definitely have to embrace and, uh, and really uh, work together with. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And we also know that that language foundation, um, as well as that cultural foundation that young people bring, um, is a bridge into their further language development. There are a lot of interconnected ideas and theories um, around language and language acquisition. So starting with uh, the language and community can really advance students uh, and their their ability to acquire uh, heftier concepts and um, apply their language. And there's also that um, understanding that if you have this assets-based approach, you're able to accept mistakes and seek challenges with understanding that both are essential for learning. And it can really also help um, ultimately enable students to maintain resilience in the face of any setbacks that they might uh, encounter. Jessica, did you want to add anything to that, of like what you're seeing in your own district? Or you're also the president of Santa Clara County School Boards Association, so you're in charge of programming all the, the meetings for them this year. 
What are you hearing? Um, well, Thanks. as it relates to Los Altos School District, the, the way we're going at uh, the assets based approach is that we have what we call the LASD student experience, where we would connect with uh, who each and every child really is, put them at the center of their learning experience, integrate their social, emotional, cognitive, and academic development development and develop learners as full people. Um, So really that's, we are putting every child at the center of of their learning, uh, wherever they're coming from. And and with that, we also have a whole anti-bias framework that is baked into everything we do also. Um, So it's making sure that we celebrate every culture that uh, we have in Los Altos uh, School District. So that is uh, the you know, how how we are at uh, the whole asset assets base approach. So that 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 I think gave us a little bit of an entrance to another question that we had for further down about mm-hmm. ethnic studies and the importance of equity in in education. So how uh, why is important and how is the implementation of ethnic studies being monitored and assessed? Uh, how is this? How has been been good in supporting the students and the minority students in the last couple of years since it has started to roll out? I know that we had rolled out the equity-based uh, education some time ago, but uh, we also, yeah, we're also working towards more ethnic studies and anti-racism everywhere. And I think that's something that everybody can uh, relate to in the districts right now. So can you tell us a little bit more, Jessica, and then we go down, down the line pretty much. <laughs> For ethnic studies, so I'm a TK through eight district, so we do not have ethnic studies. Uh, that being said, we do have the anti-bias framework, which uh, we started before George Floyd uh, situation happened in 2020, but we uh, definitely adopted right after. Um, and so that is baked into all of our curriculum. Be it, you know, it really did start with social studies, um, but it is in everything we do. We make sure that it is part of part of every being, be it a teacher, a student, staff member, etc. Um, our local high school district that uh, Los Altos School District feeds into is MVLA. Um, and they, um, they have instituted and this is their first full year of all ninth graders doing ethnic studies. And I believe that their curriculum is a model curriculum that others are following in, in California. I'm really excited. My daughter will be a ninth grader next year and will be taking it. Um, so that's what I have. And, and I know in Santa Clara Unified, uh, we've instituted it as well. And um, obviously being Unified, we, we, it's going to be mainly in the high school um, arena. But definitely, I, I think it's something that even if we could uh, eventually implement it, I know there's there's uh, some talk of having it somewhat implemented in the lower grades. I think that would be important. I can t- tell you anecdotally that um, just from my, uh, my upbringing, I didn't learn about myself, I would say. It's obvious that I don't see myself in history books a lot of times and things like this. So um, it wasn't until I got to uh, Cal Poly, where I went to school, that um, I, I took some ethnic studies courses and I, I learned more about, you know, being a Latinx, Hispanic, Chicano, whatever you may want to uh, call yourself. But that's where not only I learned about myself, but I also took an ethnic studies course in Asian. Asian American ethnic studies course, and I learned the differences about, you know, being from Southeast Asia versus being maybe, you know, from Japan and other areas. So I, I think that these these aspects are very important. So to understand how we, we all got here, 
and just having having a better understanding for each other and i think it really uh that fosters a uh a more uh, you know embracing collaborative environment and i think that's something that uh here in california and, and i would say the world really it, it's really important as we uh as we move forward and you know have such a diverse uh, area here in Silicon Valley. I would um, agree with those comments and also just share that county offices of education all across the state have been charged by the State Board of Education, the California Department of Education, and the legislature to really help schools um, with this effort to implement ethnic studies curriculum, particularly at the high school level and in alignment to the history and social sciences curriculum and the state's adopted model curriculum. And the focus is around promoting understanding and appreciation of California's diverse populations and the recognition that it is an essential part of our curriculum to be able to do that. And with the goal that it's going to help build the capacity of every young person in California to develop social consciousness and the knowledge uh, that they may need to feel confident in contributing to our public good and participating in our democracy. There's also a heavy emphasis on critical thinking, perspective building, um, advancing inquiry-based approaches to expand curiosity, and all around those same ideas that you just heard about um, getting to know each other better, knowing ourselves better, and being being able to participate in our democracy uh, as young people uh, get older. Wow, thank you. And uh, how has the county supported the rollout of the implementation of, of these programs and how is working out? A lot of our support um, is in collaboration with the other 57 county offices uh, across the state. The way that California has chosen to implement this is through uh, regional um, support centers and um, to have a variety of committees and task forces across the state that are digging deep and developing model lessons and model curriculum. Um, there's also resources available to help local schools uh, facilitate their own process uh, for looking at curriculum and instructional materials, as well as resources that we're contributing to the California Department of Education, um, also available on their website uh, to help students understand what's happening in the world today. Thank you for listening to Atenea Americana, your house of culture in the radio and online. In this bilingual show, I bring you every week one hour in English and one hour in Spanish, opening a window to the cultural Hispanic world. You can hear in the intro and at the final of the show, as well as right now, music from the legend of Latin jazz, Oscar Hernandez. This and all my shows are in stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org where I wait for your comments. I invite you to be part of this. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to go back and say, like, um, in addition to ethnic studies, what... Um, What other ways do you um, collaborate with community organizations and stakeholders to advance, you know, um, and promote different 
programs that promote equity for Hispanic students. You have a number of partnerships that I think would be really important to share today. Um, one is our initiative around My Name, My Identity. Um, this is a partnership that we have with the California Association of Bilingual Education and the National Association as well. And through My Name, My Identity, we are supporting equity and helping young people, teachers, community, and others celebrate the diversity of our young people. Um, you know, school is a community. So it, this initiative helps prepare students to succeed in the global world. It helps us understand the different cultures and communities that are represented. And it creates a pathway for young people to tell their name story as well as the, the name story of their families. It builds a respectful and caring culture in our school community. Uh, we also partner with the Silicon Valley Education Foundation, the Hispanic Foundation of Silicon Valley, uh, the Latino Education Advancement um, Fund, the Eastside Education Initiative, and the Parent Engagement Programs uh, to support parents, to support um, whole communities in increasing access to community services, tutoring, parent engagement support, and all around the goal of improving academic achievement and whole child support uh, for all of our Hispanic and Latino students in the county. I found this very important and also fascinating, you know, because you, you always <laughs> used to see, even on the TVs and everywhere, people where their names were changed uh, when they came to the United States, like, oh, now you're Joe, and that's it. Or, or even the pronunciation of, of their name of however uh, people and teachers thought the, the name should be said. Uh, and I think this, uh, you know, this brings us back to, to be more human and to be more understanding and uh, to see each other, you know, uh, as equal in a way. Uh, but also it's now opening this fascinating door for teens who are trying to find their identity. And, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful how, how give them the courage and give them the support of, you know, for all these little kids to, to decide who they are uh, and using their name and their identity. Uh, can uh, you guys also tell us more about how it has been rolling in your own district? And, and then uh, back to Dr. Dewan, how she feels that this has been implemented. Well, I would say, I mean, I'll give uh, props uh, to my name, my identity. I remember about, it was probably about eight years ago, I went to summer program and we had, uh, you know, English learners in that program. And, and I asked the questions at the end, but basically some of them had been there from three months to like three years. So they were in that range and they basically did a PowerPoint on their name, you know, where they came from and um, their background. And uh, it was definitely a learning experience for them as far as, you know, picking up some of the English. And, but for us, I think it's important for not only our staff and everyone to, to understand like, hey, your name means something, right? So just because your name's Maria, you're not gonna change it to Mary. So and we find that staff and, and our teachers, they're making that effort to learn. And obviously whether it's, you know, Srinivas or a different name, a different culture, they're learning that and they're definitely making sure I think that, you know, maybe cognizantly that they're they're gonna try to speak uh, or say the name of, of this child because it is important to them to understand you know, if their parents say their name one way and they say it a different way, you know, they hear it differently in, in school, it's something that's, it's not a positive effect. I think you know, positive effect it's going to have. So definitely, I, I know staff around the county and uh, definitely our, our county uh, 
has really helped districts in this respect as far as helping us with certain programs and making sure that, hey, we have these programs available. And, you know, I know in Santa Clara Unified, we have instituted My Name, My Identity, and it really helped our students. In LASD, our, our program is more called the Immigration uh, Project, which is, is similar. And it is, while it doesn't necessarily focus on the name itself, it is more you follow a part of your family and where did they immigrate from, from, et cetera. And it, it has been a, it's a lovely um, celebration of, of their culture and where they came from and everybody gets to learn. And I do appreciate, um, you know, as I said, with the LASD student experience, we really focus on making sure we're getting every kid where they're at. And that includes making sure we know how to pronounce their name uh, correctly. Um, we need to give every last student, adult, et cetera, the respect they deserve. Um, every last person deserves. The, the impact of this initiative has really expanded into other areas. Uh, we started it with this advancement and recognition of respect, of culture, of identity, and as a pathway into uh, creating safe, welcoming, and inclusive classrooms and schools. Um, and it, you know, was so impactful that we were able to successfully uh, integrated into other aspects of the professional development and training that our office supports in collaboration with school districts. Um, My Name Identity has also been recognized internationally and nationally. Um, we have expanded this into our integrated supports project, uh, which developed a specific My Name My Identity module aligned to our core culturally relevant features of identity uh, which you've heard about voice, supportive environment, and situational appropriateness. And so this really supports teachers in the local schools and throughout the state uh, to s- integrate within their c- curriculum, their existing curriculum, so it's not a separate initiative, and also integrate it into their classroom. And the implementation has been very successful. Um, I would say our campaign has reached over 11,000 individual pledges and commitments and over 1,630 school districts that are participating. And our website has received um, almost 350,000 page views from over 212 countries. Thank you. Um, So, you know, Jessica, you have about 10% of Hispanic students in your district and, um, Albert, yours is some more similar to ours. It's about forty percent, I think, or thirty. We're about we're approaching forty percent quickly. Um, you know, how do you welcome, support, and celebrate them in your district? I know you talked a little bit about you know um, some different programs, but how do you how do you welcome the families as well as the students? Well, at LASD, we have think thankful to like funding from the state. We have the uh, school linked uh, services. Uh, staff member who is making sure that not only is the student uh, getting the education that they they need um, where they're at, but we are also making sure that the family gets all the services uh, they need from county, state, um, nonprofits. Um, so we are making sure that it, at every step they get what they need and in the language um, that they need it in. Um, while you know, most of our staff members are, you know, 
only speak English, we do we did make sure that our schooling services uh, staff member is uh, bilingual um, and, and meeting those families either, you know, at the schools that their students are at or, or at home um, and making sure that they're all set up. Yeah, and one thing that we've done at Seneca Unified is that we've uh, basically ha- have different programs. So we, we had a PK Parent um, Initiative for Quality Education, so trying to engage and empower parents to not only, uh, you know, learn themselves, but be, be advocates for their students. Okay. Um, and also the, the, uh, the wraparound services that, uh, that um, Jessica mentioned. Yeah. Um, as far as, you know, working with, like, uh, the, uh, gosh, the harvest... Uh, Second harvest. Second harvest, yeah. So having having uh, days where we we go, uh, there's volunteers that go and basically package uh, food in boxes. Usually, you have about two or three pallets of these that go to our family resource center, and families are able to go and, and gather, uh, you know, get some get some food to make sure that their students are not only obviously eating at school, especially now with uh, California making sure that that they uh, provide meals to our students, but also you know at home have a have a nice uh, warm meal. So I think that's important. Um, I, I think that definitely engaging parents is, is something that we have to do. We understand that sometimes parents uh, might have two jobs, especially some of the socioeconomic disadvantage uh, um, parent, you know, parents that they're definitely uh, needing more resources. So how do we do that? So that's one way that we can do it and making sure that, hey, we can, you, once they learn to advocate for themselves and make sure that, you know, they have the tools, obviously, um, I would say that COVID definitely brought about, uh, exacerbated things a little bit, but we were able to learn to see, okay, certain families maybe didn't have internet access or such. So the, we, we still supply, you know, hotspots and things to, to families, even though we're out of COVID, but it's just something that we make sure that our, our parents, our families have that. So when their students try to access the internet for homework or what have you, um, they have that ability to do that. Along those lines, I, I, cause you brought it up, uh, we work with CSA, which is local to Los Altos and Mountain View for a mobile food pantry, which I actually ended up starting during COVID. We had our own version because we discovered during that time, our free and reduced lunches doubled, uh, the families asking for that. And I'm like, well, yeah. Why do, why are we only feeding the, the kids? Like w- the whole family has got to be hungry. Um, so we, we put together, we basically repurposed all, we have a program called Living Classroom. We repurposed all the beds in all of our schools, uh, and planted, uh, tomato plants and other seasonal ve- vegetables in those beds, had families adopting those beds and cultivating those beds. And we had those, uh, being the, what, what was cultivated being donated toward the mobile, mobile food pantry and then also uh, we would have drop-off locations for uh, non-perishables uh, um, so every every twice a week we were at different parks in the most um, socio-economically uh, disadvantaged areas of our district to make sure that they had that uh, food and then when COVID started dying down a little bit CSA took that over I still run the volunteer aspect of it but uh, it is their warehouse to uh, distribute food, so it was glad I was glad for them to take that over. Um, uh, but it is uh, one of the, my favorite things that I was able to do because I really felt like in my I do realize what a privileged area that I represent is, but we did have homeless and and, and we do have homeless and uh, food insecure people in our district, and to actually be able to help solve that problem was very fulfilling. 
Second Harvest is an amazing partner um, in all of this work as well. And um, really appreciate the thoughts around the importance of parent engagement and some of the needs that arise from our conversations with parents also drive the work of the County Office of Education. And I just wanted to, to mention one in particular around childcare and the need for early care and education in preschool and lift up that many of our parents are looking for support in both finding um, childcare as well as being able to afford it. And so through our work um, and through this effort to really engage with parents and community, we've been able to coordinate and collaborate a number of subsidized programs that support um, early care and education and access to preschool and childcare, family childcare homes, family resource centers, and others. There are a number of childcare subsidies that are available uh, to socioeconomically disadvantaged communities. And sometimes the biggest barrier is helping parents know uh, what's available and how um, they can get access to them. There are also a number of voucher programs where eligible families receive an alternate payment voucher so they can enroll their children in a family friend and neighbor program or a preschool or childcare center. And we are also seeing the results of a lot of our shared advocacy on behalf of parents to expand access to publicly free preschool and transitional kindergarten through the expansion of UPK. Um, Head Start is also available to many families as well as Early Head Start. And um, families can find a lot of this information on our website in multiple languages at enrollsantaclara.org. And I just want to give a, you know, huge kudos and credit to our parents and our parent community for really driving um, this as a priority and helping the county office organize these resources on their behalf. Perfect. During the, the last years, of course, even and even more after the pandemic, uh, there has been an increase of need for mental support. So including for kids and, and families, this has been main topic of any conversation, not just locally, but all, all around the county, well, probably all around the world. While AB 483 makes uh, medical billing possible, it will be years before this reach all the school sites. So a county has already some capacity for this and um, you have been doing the programs and, and giving grants for wellness centers uh, all around the county. Uh, but when can we have uh, these wellness centers in every school? How, how can we do this? And now that we are facing a budget deficit statewide, uh, what do we need to make this happen? Uh, what do we need at other levels like state and county and even national to make this happen? Because these are, are great resources for families. And uh, I'm glad that we've been able to to start that program here at, at the county. Uh, but I mean, we, we want it in every school. How, how, how can that happen? Uh, you're absolutely right. I think that um, even before COVID, it was becoming um, glaringly apparent that uh, we were facing a mental health and wellness uh, crisis amongst our young people uh, and in community. And even before the pandemic, we were starting to organize resources and advocacy efforts to increase access to school-based 
mental health and behavioral health services. Some of those um, services are, are done by um, local schools increasing maybe social workers or counselor positions um, at their sites. And in other cases, they may have partnerships with community-based organizations where providers are able to integrate their supports into the schools. Um, early on, uh, we organized um, with the support of all of the school districts and all of the district superintendents in the county to promote an evidence-based model that we refer to as the Wellness Center and that, that you just mentioned, uh, Isabel. And so we, um, through this effort and with the full support of our office um, with philanthropy and with the County of Santa Clara, we have been implementing wellness center demonstration sites. We're currently at 19 of those sites uh, throughout Santa Clara County, elementary, middle, and high school, and also providing technical assistance and supports to help schools do their own wellness centers. So, you know, this model is something that can be replicated. Um, we're demonstrating through these 19 sites um, how, how to do it, what the different options are, who you can partner with and the like, while also working towards that billing and reimbursement uh, effort that you suggested. Uh, recently, the County of Santa Clara uh, repurposed a number of their ARPA funds uh, with the support and guidance of uh, the County Office of Education uh, and through the Valley Health Foundation to give schools an opportunity to access infrastructure dollars uh, that they can utilize for wellness center services and school-based services uh, in their school campuses. And we're continuing these efforts um, to both help uh, bring in grant dollars to support individual school sites and local school districts, as well as creating all of the pathways necessary for the sustainable funding um, that will do this. Um, we're doing this work because young people tell us how impactful it is. Um, you know, the, the stories are um, heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time, um, where we know that um, students tell us firsthand that having a wellness center on their school campus that's available to them before, during, and after school is one of the main reasons that they can get themselves to school. Uh, we've seen um, and have data and evidence to show that it increases students' attendance um, at school. It creates a safe space for young people to engage with uh, groups, um, have access to trauma-informed care, maybe grief counseling, um, but also just the regular ups and downs of, you know, growing up and uh, learning to have healthy relationships and deal with the uh, anxieties and traumas that you might face on a daily basis. Well, it has been great to have you here, guys. And personally, I, I would like to keep having you for a long time, but I know <laughs> that you all are here. Top by or actually before you go to your day job. So thank you very much for being here with us at Atene Americana and to come all the way to our studio. As uh, today we were trying to also do a face uh, live and a Zoom call in order to broadcast. This has been a little bit choppy, so sorry about that. But uh, this show and all our shows are also going to be at Stanford Hispanic Broadcasting, which is my website and the program uh, online for this show. So 
And remember to come back every week for Atenea Americana and to have more of these varied, uh, interesting topics to talk about. And today our show again was on public education. And, um, well, all and each of you is always welcome here. And I do hope to have you more uh, talking about all these very important questions about the public education, the full the future of our children, the future of public education, and pretty much the future of our society as it is. Well, and that was it for today. Thank you. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea, Atenea Americana. Americana. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Radio Atenea Americana, bilingual house of culture, on the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later. 